Good, good evening, everybody. Good to see you all. Doesn't Grace and the team do a fantastic job of uh, leading our music? Yeah. Well, um, we're going through Psalms, as you know, and Psalms literally mean songs. And so what we're addressing today is really the top 150 of the, uh, the Hebrew top of the pops that made it into Scripture forevermore. You ever thought about it that way? There's way more songs written than this 150, but somewhere God wrapped them all up and said, this is the, uh, the top 150 on Spotify and uh, forevermore the ultimate playlist that comes out of the, the Old Testament. It's cool, isn't it? You like the idea of that? Cool. Well, um, tonight I'm looking at a Psalm 139. Now, this is a familiar favourite for many of you. And I have to admit, when I first read this Psalm as a new Christian and it really uh, started to awaken my understanding of who God is, uh, it's been a favourite ever since and it's stuck with me. So we're going to uh, have a look at this tonight and I trust that it's going to speak to your heart. Let's pray together. Lord, as we open up Scripture and we find those words that were written close to 3,000 years ago, it's really hard for us to understand just how many lives have been impacted by the words that we're going to look at tonight. And as we do this, Lord, we realise that we're entering into something that is sacred and yet very, very personal for us because these words are going to echo your heart for us. They're going to remind us of whom you are and who we are in your eyes. So Holy Spirit, we pray that tonight you'd guide us and lead us and open up the eyes of our understanding to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, Psalm 139 is one of those psalms that you're going to find out again if you're not familiar with it, that just seems to read your mail and or your email, okay? Uh, whatever it is that you're, you're using these days to communicate with your friends. Because God wants us, us to know that he is intimately interested in your life, intimately interested in your every thought, your every action. And so tonight as we, we look at this, this passage of Scripture, um, I really felt strongly that I should lay aside the Hebrew and the technicality of what it's all about and how it's written in a, in a certain style. And I wanted, to, I wanted us to look at it in a devotional way. Sometimes we can take Scripture and we can sort of shake it so hard that it hurts. Whereas I think tonight what God wants to do is just for us to, to lean into these words and hear what he's saying to your heart. Now I'm pleased that I've taken that approach because I can see what God has already been doing in our service tonight when, um, with Grace there saying, asking us that simple question, you know, why did you come here tonight? What's this all about? So it's a night for the heart, okay? So these, um, these verses are structured in, into such a way that there's a series of questions being asked by God, and we're going to have a look at these. The questions that are asked in, these, in the psalm are, uh, are such that you're asked whether you, you know him, that is, the God of the universe, and that he knows you, and that he sees you, and that you're created by him, and that you're precious to him. And then ultimately, throughout all of this intimate, personal knowing that goes on between you and God, at the end of it, God is still a mystery to us. 
and that's okay. There's an element in which God will always be a mystery to us because he's God. And we've got to live with that. We have to learn to live with that. And God's going to explain it to us. And so the psalm tonight is uh, Psalm 139, and it's written by David, King David. But we find this time in this psalm that David is not crying out in anguish, but rather it's the song or the psalm of a mature guy, a guy who's been around for a while, a guy who's got a few bumps and a few scars and a few uh, kicks where he's probably didn't expect to have them over the years from God. This is a psalm from a guy who's been raised under the hand of the Lord and has been gifted sovereignly by God to defeat enemies bigger than himself. He's been raised up to be a king when he is only a young man. He's had to fight bigger than his understanding. He's had to lead men twice his age. And he's had huge levels of responsibility. He's also fallen over. He's fallen in temptation to the flesh, as Rob pointed out to us in Psalm 51, where those words of repentance are recorded for us. He's been consumed with passion, consumed with anger, consumed with despair. And yet he gets to this time and he writes the psalm, a mature traveller. So let's have a look at the first block of Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. This psalm for me, if there was one psalm that I could take away on the deserted island that I'm cast upon for the rest of my life, if there was one psalm that I would take with me, it would be this one. And already you can see why. Because in that lonely place of being a castaway on an island with just my own company, I would know that it is my God and my creator who knows my every thought. And he's my companion. He's my friend. And he knows me. Which is both, as we know, scary and comforting at the same time. Because he knows my thoughts when I'm having bad thoughts and he knows my thoughts when I'm having good thoughts and everything in between. And so when I'm trying to run from God and trying to hide my thoughts from him in the hope that as I whistle a happy tune, he doesn't see my anger. Or when I say nice things, nice things to somebody, when I'm feeling grumpy, he knows that as well. So all the contradictions that make us up as human beings are his to know about us. So look at these words there. I'm going to point out one word per line as it is there now. There's the word searched. Second line, there's the word know. Then there's know again. Perceive. Discern. Familiar. Word. And no, again. So all of this wrapped up is telling us that um, God knows us better than we know ourselves. So for all of our image grooming, for all of our uh, trying to create this outside look of who we are that everybody can fall in love with, God knows what's actually going on underneath. 
God knows what is happening in our head and our heart. And as I say, that can be scary, but more importantly, it should be comforting. Because the God who loves us, in spite of ourselves, we're reminded, sent his son to die for us. Yet when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so we start to wrap this together and we can see right from the outset, 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years before Christ, that grace was in place, right? That this love of God was far greater than anything we could ever imagine. And here is David being told, David, you know when you lusted after Bathsheba and you took her in adultery and then you tried to hide that fact from her husband and from the rest of the nation? David, I knew your heart, I knew your mind, you were hiding everything, but you couldn't hide it from me. And David essentially is saying, I give up. I give up trying to hide my thoughts from you. You know me. You know these thoughts that I'm having even before I have them. You know the words that are coming from my mouth, even as they're formed in my mind before they escape out that hole in my head, never to return even when we want them back again and put them back in because we've made a mess of it. That's who God is. We can shape him into our own image. We can try and put a tinfoil hat on our head in the hope that God won't be able to see our thoughts. We can hide under the pillow. We can speak to ourselves in code. We can talk without thinking and think without talking, but God knows what's going on all the time. And so this is one of the times when God is saying to us, just stop. You don't have to run away from me. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm not here to harm you. I'm here for you to stop and understand that you are mine and I know your thoughts from afar. We've got this little grandchild now, nearly 12 months old, and um, a few days ago, we got a chance to spend an afternoon uh, with our daughter, Melissa, and her little boy, Jimmy, James, and uh, Daniel and Melissa have been doing a great job, great parents. And what really surprised me is how Melissa could just predict his behaviours over the hour and a half that he was up, having a meal, then bath time, and, uh, and then bedtime. So here he was, and he was, she put his meal in front of him. She said, he'll have about four teaspoons of this and then he'll want some, of, of, want some peas. Sure enough, and he loves eating peas. He just picks them up off the table, puts them in his mouth. And she said, pretty soon he'll get tired and he'll stick his finger in his mouth. Sure enough, he stuck his finger in his mouth. So Melissa had to take his finger out of his mouth, stick a pea in and then finger went back in. She said, pretty soon the ear will come. I said, what do you mean the ear will come? Well, when he gets really tired, what will happen is he'll stick one finger in his mouth and hold on to his ear. I said, oh, okay, so what happens now? She says, well, I'll pull his finger out of his mouth, stick in a pee before he goes like this. And so all night it's this. And I was just intrigued by this. And she said, now it's bath time, watch this. So she puts him in the sink in the kitchen. Um, it's a big enough bath for, for Jimmy. And then she runs the water and she says, you watch, you'll come alive. And he did. He just came alive and turned the whole place uh, like he was like an otter. He was just splashing and making all this mess and all this noise and loving it. And then after bedtime, I said, well, what happens now? She said, oh, he just goes downhill straight away. And uh, sure enough, she, she dried him off, lay him on the bed. And then he just rolls over 
And I said, he wants to go to sleep. She goes, yep, he loves his bed. And he was in sleep, and he slept for 13 hours, as they do. We're all jealous of that, aren't we? 13 hours sleep a night, that'd be amazing. But what I'm saying here is that, as a parent, she knew what the behaviours were going to be. Yeah? And she could predict this. And probably all of our parents have been able to predict our behaviours like this. But when it comes to God, he predicts your thoughts. He knows your thoughts, he knows your thinking, and he knows where this leads to. And so what we're saying here is that God is your closest friend, your most intimate friend. He's not your enemy. He's not to be scared of, but he's supposed to be valued for the fact that because he knows your thoughts, he becomes the first person that you talk to. Let's move on to this next part of this psalm. As I say, this is more of a devotional tonight. Um, but I'm hoping we can capture something of God's heart for us. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. I haven't moved it on. Here we go. Hold on. Yeah, now I'm fighting with someone, probably myself. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So now we're being told that uh, not only does God know our thoughts, but there's nowhere we can go to escape him physically. And so what, what David is saying is that I, I, can, I can go up to the highest heavens and uh, you will still be there. I can go down into Sheol, into, into Hades itself, and you will find me there. And all these things are being told to us not to frighten us, but to reassure us. That even when we're wanting to escape in our deepest, darkest depression, God will seek us out because he wants to have a relationship with us. Remember what Adam and Eve did when they sinned in the Garden of Eden? The first response was to go and hide from God. And what did God do? He went and found them. He said, Adam, where are you? Where are you? And when he found them, when he found them, that was his first act of love to his creation that had sinned. He was pursuing them because he's like, he's like a, a, a husband. In the book of Hosea, it talks about a husband who has lost his wife. She's run off with another lover. And this husband is pursuing, pursuing this woman who's committed adultery saying, I still love you. I still want you back again. This is the same God that David is describing here. This one who never, never gives up, never forgets about us, never gives up on the chase. This is the Jesus who says, leave the 99 behind and go and pursue the one who is, who is lost when he talks about the sheep. So again, don't be frightened. We should be comforted. And we're reminded, of course, there's a Zen saying, Zen, and I'm not trying to get into uh, Zen Buddhism, but it says this, wherever you go, you will be there. Okay? Can you say that with me tonight? Wherever you go, you will be there. And so will God. <laughs> Wherever you go, you will be there. 
And let me tell you, you can change your car, you can change your clothes, you can take up smoking cigarettes, you can paint your hair green. Uh, who do that? And you could um, change your jobs, you can change your name, you can change your nation, you can change your sports, you can change your crowd, but wherever you go, you will be there. That same person on the inside. And all you've ever done by changing all of these things is just change the outer layers. God knows who you are and he knows where you're at, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And so don't run away. Just say, okay, God, this is who you are. This is what you know. I'm not going to fight this any longer. I'm going to be the person who stops and appreciates that you, the God of the universe, the one who created everything, knows me. Knows me. And so we move on and... and, uh, David says this um, in a quite unusual way, but it's quite a funny way. He says, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and light become night around me, even darkness will not be dark to you and night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You know what he's saying here? Quite simply, God can see in the dark. That's what, <laughs> that's, that's what he's really saying. Okay? So God can see in the dark. So If you turn the light off to hide from God, it's not going to happen. Okay. Darkness. Darkness. But it's also um, an image, isn't it, for spiritual darkness. You can wrap your life up with sin. You can go down a dark hole. You can hang out with people who, who have a bad, bad reputation and a bad impression upon you. Or you can fall over, if you like, in your spirit to the dark side and you can take on that temptation that's always with us, always with us. And you can fall into its trap. And that spiritual darkness is still not a place where you can hide from God because he will be there too. He will reach out to you there, not just in the physical darkness, but the spiritual darkness. And don't think you've ever done anything that has removed you from God's love. That is impossible. That is impossible. The biggest lie the devil will ever tell you is, you're just not good enough. You're not good enough to go into that church. You've done too much now to ever be loved again by the God who created you. That's just a huge lie. And David knows this because he's been on the dark side. He's, 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 he's fallen over, if you like, for the temptations that were around him, seduced him. But darkness will be light to God. And then something we we still need to hear in the 21st century are these words. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Wow. Wow. Doesn't that say something to our impending euthanasia laws? 
Doesn't that tell us that our hands are in God's time? Yeah, sorry, our time is in God's hands. Sort of the same thing. And the debate about abortion, it's tough. It's tough and, uh, you know, I'm not here to condemn anybody if that's been the journey that you've been on, but I was just reading there that um, a child is called a, a fetus until the time it's born, technically, in a medical journal. It's called a fetus until it sees the light of day. Uh, yeah, we know that, that a child is fearfully and wonderfully made in that secret place. We're talking here about the womb. Beautiful, amazing miracle. You know, I, I personally, you know, read about um, the theory, the theory of evolution, and how if we just give it a few more billion years, these things could have happened. I, quite simply, I don't have enough faith to believe in that. Because it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in a, in a loving God, doesn't it? I think so. Because whenever there's a little bit of mystery in the theory of evolution, they just whack a few extra billion years in the process to try to give you a little bit of mystery there as to the fact that this could have happened. Could have happened. But I don't have the faith to believe that. But what I do have the faith to believe in is that, that I have a God who's a loving father who created you, created me. A couple of months ago, I was on the, online looking for a photo of a, a child worshipping. And I um, found this picture of a child who was probably about seven or eight years old with their eyes closed and their arms high. And somebody had written underneath, this is nothing short of child abuse. I was like, oh, wow. You know, teaching a child to worship a God. And I looked at that and I thought, that's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty striking for someone to say that, to say that a child worshipping God is child abuse. And I thought, no, it's not child abuse. You know what child abuse is? Telling a six or seven-year-old that they're a freak of, of nature, that they're an accident, that on an evolutionary scale you're about the equivalent to a frog that you crawled out of the swamp via your ancestors and that you have no intrinsic value at all. You're just something the equivalent to any other animal on the planet. Maybe a tree, maybe something, a chicken. That's what child abuse is, isn't it? When people are told that they have no value, and now we, we're in a uh, situation time now where abortion laws are being challenged so that abortion on demand will become the norm. We're being told that as you get older, you'll have less and less value. So go and take the big needle, euthanasia. And then in the middle of it all, we have this thing called the sanctity of life and we're being told that... Um, you shouldn't, uh, we, we shouldn't uh, take our own lives. Suicide's a real problem. And we wonder about our mental health. People are told that they evolved out of the swamp. So go and smoke drugs. We'll legalise that in a moment too. 
Can you see the tensions that we're living in when we take away God's, God's laws and God's rules and God's understanding of who we are? The womb becomes the most unsafe place in our nation. We worry about mental health and tell you not to commit suicide. But when you get to probably about the age of 75 and 80, we, we, we're going to ask you then to measure your true value and maybe you could do the decent thing and don't spend the kid's inheritance by um, knocking yourself on the head. These are the, the implications of what happens around a world that doesn't have this truth that we're looking at right in front of us now planted deep within our hearts. Everything's up for grabs. Because life has no real meaning, well, do meth and do dope as much as you want because it's all meaningless anyway. Oh, but now we've got to put some more money into the mental health programs because we don't want people to commit suicide before we ask them to knock themselves on the head when they're 75. Strange world out there, isn't it? But that's what happens when your value is only based around what you can produce. You're just a, a product of the labour chain. When your value is not an intrinsic value built upon the fact that you're made in God's image. Does it make sense? It only makes sense because it doesn't make sense and I'm trying to make sense of it. But because it can't, we've got to go back to the word of God and say, this makes sense. And all my days were ordained. My hands are in God's hands. And if I ate better and did more exercise, I'd, I'd be in God's hands a little bit longer probably. But, um, but we're God's creation. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. This is David. Now he's changing gear. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Okay, so, so here's David now. He's turned this whole psalm around. After having stopped and said, you are amazing. To quote Monica, amazing. David then says, how precious to me are your thoughts. And there's so many of them and they're so profound. I can't even get my head around them. And so I just stop in awe of them. And I'm profoundly impacted by the fact that your thoughts are higher than mine. And on that basis alone, I can trust you. I can trust you because it's a walk of faith. I can't wrap my two and a half inches or whatever that is, seven centimetres of brain around the God of the universe. So I just stop and I realise that your thoughts are like the grains of the sand. And I rest in that. I rest in that. This is the God who says he, he knows when every sparrow falls. He knows every hair on our head. Okay, he knows every, we've already seen, he knows every thought that we have. He knows every word that comes out of our mouth before we even say it. The word awesome comes to mind. Awesome, not, not like, a, um, not like a, a Big Mac with bacon burger, awesome. Okay, not that sort of awesome, but the true sense of the word awesome. When we stand in awe, when we have nothing more to say, when we just gasp. 
some years ago, I was down the bottom of South Island, and uh, a friend and I um, we were staying in a dock hut, and it was a beautiful, clear night, and away from any any towns or anything. And I said, "Hey, don't think I'm weird or anything, but grab your mattress, and we'll go outside, and we'll put our mattresses on the ground, and we'll just look at the stars." Okay, so there's nothing weird going on. And so off we went. And as we did that, because there was no natural, uh, unnatural light around, man-made light, we lay there for about 20 minutes. And in that time, the stars just continued to appear in front of us because our eyes were adjusting. And after about uh, five minutes, the conversation just stopped. And we sort of right-sized ourselves and went to bed. We just realised uh, that for every star we saw, it was another universe. Sorry, solar system, the same as ours. Because every star that we saw was a sun like ours. And we could only see, we could only see thousands of them. But there are millions of them. And here's David trying to capture how many thoughts that God has towards us. And he uses uh, the grains of sand on a seashore as an illustration for something that's uncountable. But what uh, the astrologists have told us is that the amount of solar systems in the galaxies exceed the amount of sand on the seashores. Now, that's more awesome than a Big Mac with bacon, right? Yeah. That's more awesome. I remember Louis Giglio put it this way when he described the, um, the size of Earth within our own solar system. He said it's like getting a 20-cent piece and putting it on the seashore of the United States. That's Earth. The United States is our solar system. that causes you to uh, silence yourself before God as well, doesn't it? And yet when we hear this, this amazing mystery of God's magnificence, that can lead us to despair because we say, surely I have no value if that, if that is how I am sized in our galaxy, in our universe. But that's the complete opposite of what the psalm is all about. The psalm says, in spite of all of this, you have value. You were knitted together in your mother's womb. God saw you before you were even born. And your days have definition and purpose and meaning and significance. If we were left with just an understanding of a tiny little place in the galaxies, that would be despairing, wouldn't it? We'd say, well, what does it all mean? Nothing. I have no value at all because I'm less than a grain of sand. But God tells us that he knows us. And that's what counts. We know him. And then David finishes the psalm with the mystery. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. 
Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. So here's David now taking all of this understanding of whom God is, and he's bringing it back to his own personal confusion. He's saying, God, in light of all of this, there are those who hate you. And because they hate you, I hate you. And I'm going to take this mystery of what it means to be a follower of, of you, God, and I want to put it right back in front of you. I want to put it right back in front of you because this is the thing that bothers me the most, is that there seems to be injustice in our world. There are things that are happening that I can't understand. In light of your power, in light of your, your incredible wonder, in light of these things that tell us that you're just so magnificent, I can't understand why this world is still broken. A little bit like Job. If you, ever read, if you want to get depressed, just read Job. Except for the final couple of chapters. Yeah? When God speaks and he tells Job, what Job can't understand. And he lists all the things that Job can't understand. You weren't there. You weren't there when I, 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 I created the universe, when I bring the stars out at night. You, were, you don't understand that I um, keep Leviathan, this is the, 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 the source of evil, the sources of, of anger and hatred. I keep them as a pet. He's trying to put perspective on everything. He's trying to put perspective on everything. And so David finishes the psalm with these words, basically saying, I give up. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In light of everything, God, you know my thoughts. You created my inner being. There's no way that I can escape from you. All of this is just too much for me. So instead of running away from you, God, I'm coming to you now and I'm going to say, I am yours. I'll allow you to do the work that you want to do in me. Search me, know me, clean me, cleanse me, heal me. Everything that you want to do in me, God, I'm here for you because I can't escape from you. I can't hide from you. So I might as well stop the stupid race of running away from you, trying to hide my thoughts and my actions. And I might as well stop and surrender myself to the God of the universe and say, here I am. Do what you want with me. Why? Because you're good. You're good. And I don't have to understand the mystery of evil. I don't have to understand why it is that bad things happen to good people and why there are people who, who hate you because you know us so well. I, I don't have to wrestle with that because that's just going to waste my time and do my head in. So God, as you say, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offense, offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So 
If I had one psalm to take on my deserted island, this is the one I'd take. I'd be reminded that God's my closest friend. That even on that deserted island, he's with me. He's not abandoning me. And that he created me. That he formed me. That in spite of any body image problems I might have on my Facebook account, he loves me. And in spite of any difficulty I might be going through, he's never going to leave me. So why'd you come to church tonight? Because we love him back. That's all we can do, isn't it? Let's stand. I'll invite the music team to come up. Let's pray together. Father, we... uh, there's a sense in which um, there's a sense in which we should just be standing in awe of you tonight, just trying to capture in our spirit what these words are telling us and have told generations and generations and generations of people before us who have stood in awe of you through these words, in the same way that David would have stood in awe as he wrote them. So God. I think there's a collective sigh in our room tonight where we just want to say we give up for all the good reasons. For all the good reasons. Because you're a good God. Because you know us and there's no point fighting. Because you lead us by the hand and you you want to lead us into the green pastures, Lord. You want to lead us beside still waters, Lord. You want to show us the future and the hope you have for us. And regardless of how many years we have ahead of us, Lord, you're still our future and our hope. You're still the one who has ordained our days. And we won't let what society says rob us of the truth of your power, of your intimacy of your desire to to know us and to know us better and better. These things, Lord, we, we won't surrender because you are our God and our creator, our Abba Father. So tonight as we, um, as we fellowship together, as we, as we go home and we turn off the light, we're reminded that the darkness doesn't hide us or it doesn't hide you. And you are forever our God, our maker, our friend, and our saviour. Amen.